heart trouble. The Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 36, through chapter 14, verse 31. This chapter opens and closes with our Lord's loving admonition, Let not your heart be troubled. John 14, verse 1, and also verse 27. We're not surprised that the apostles were troubled. After all, Jesus had announced that one of them was a traitor. And then he warned Peter that he was going to deny his Lord three times. Self-confident Peter was certain that he could not not only follow his Lord, but even die with him and for him. But Peter did not know his own heart, nor do we really know our own hearts. Except for one thing, our hearts easily become troubled. Possibly the heaviest blow of all was the realization that Jesus was going to leave them in John 13, verse 33. Where was he going? Could they go with him? How could they get where he was going? These were some of the perplexing questions that, that tumbled around in their minds, in their hearts, and were, and were tossed back and forth in their conversations at the table. How did Jesus calm their troubled hearts? He calmed them by giving them six wonderful assurances to lay hold of, assurances that we today may claim and enjoy for our troubled heart, to keep our hearts untroubled. Therefore, enjoying untroubled hearts. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, You may claim every single one of those assurances. Verse 36 through chapter 14, verse 6, uh, Jesus did not rebuke Peter for asking him where he was going, but his reply was somewhat cryptic. One day Peter would follow Jesus to the cross, John 21, verses 18 through 19 and 2 Peter 1, verses 12 through 15, and then he would follow him to heaven. So tradition tells us that Peter was crucified, though he asked to be crucified head down because he did not feel worthy to die as his master died. So just as Peter was beginning to feel like a hero, Jesus announced that he himself would soon become a casualty. The message not only shocked Peter, but it also stunned the rest of the disciples. After all, if brave Peter denied the Lord, what hope was there for the rest of them? It was then that Jesus gave his message to calm their troubled hearts. And according to Jesus, heaven is a real place. It is, it is not a product of religious imagination or the, the result of a psyched-up mentality looking for pie in the sky, by and by, heaven is a place where God dwells and where Jesus sits today at the right hand of the Father. It's not imagination or religious imagination. It's a beautiful place. Heaven is described as a kingdom, 2 Peter 1 and 11. It's described as an inheritance, a country, a city, and a home. The word Father is used 53 times in John 13 through John 17. Heaven is my Father's house, according to the Son of God. It is home. 
It is home for God's children. The Greek word mon is translated mansions in John 14.2 and abode in John 14.23. It simply means rooms, abiding places. So we must not think in terms of, of manor houses. It's unfortunate that some of the biblical songs that have really perpetuated the error that faithful Christians will have a lovely mansions in glory while worldly saints will have to be content with little cottages or even shacks. Jesus Christ is now preparing preparing places for all true believers and each place will be beautiful. When he was here on earth, Jesus was a carpenter. Mark chapter 6 verse 3. Now that he has returned to glory, he is building a church on earth and a home for that church in heaven. John 14, 3 is a clear promise of our Lord's return for his people. Some will go to heaven through the valley of the shadow of death, but those who are alive when Jesus returns will never see death. John 11, 25 and 26 they will be changed to be like Christ and will go to heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And since heaven is the Father's house, it must be a place of joy. It must be a place of love. When the Apostle John tried to describe heaven, he almost ran out of symbols and comparisons in Revelations 21 and 22. Finally, he listed the things that would not be there. He said, death would not be there, sorrow, crying, pain, night, etc. What a wonderful home it will be, and we will enjoy it forever. And then in Thomas's question, revealed his keen desire to be with Jesus. As we look at John 11, verse 16. And this meant that he had to know where the master was going and how himself would get would get there the lord made it clear that he was going to the father and that he was the only way to the father so heaven is a real place a loving place and an exclusive place not everybody is going to heaven but rather only those who have trusted jesus christ see acts chapter 4 verse 12 and first timothy 2 verses 4 through 6 Jesus did not simply teach the way or point the way. He is the way. In fact, the way was one of the early names for the Christian faith. Our Lord's statement, No man cometh unto the Father but by me, wipes away any other proposed way to heaven. Good works, religious ceremonies, costly gifts, etc. There is only one way. And that way is Jesus Christ. The assurance of a a heavenly home at the end of life's road enables us to bear joyfully with the obstacles and with the battles along the way. It was this assurance that even encouraged our Lord that said in Hebrews 12, 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross Paul had this truth in mind when he wrote, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory 
which shall be revealed in us, Romans 8, 18. You know, in verses 7 through 11, we do not have to wait until we enter heaven to get to know the Father. We can know him today. We can receive from him today the spiritual resources we need to keep going when the days are difficult. What does it mean to, quote, know the Father? The word know is used 141 times in John's gospel, but it does not always carry the same meaning. There are four different levels of knowing, according to John. The lowest level is simply knowing a fact. The next level is to understand the truth behind that fact. However, you can know the fact and know the truth behind it and still be lost in your sins. The third level introduces relationship. To know means to believe in a person and become related to him or her. So this is the way. Know. Quote, know. This is used in John 7 verse 3. In fact, in scripture, to know is used of the most intimate relationship between man and wife. To know. To know one another. See Genesis 4 verse 1. The fourth use of know means to have a deeper relationship with a person or a deeper communion. It was this level that Paul was referring to when he wrote that I know him in Philippians 3.10. Jesus will describe this deeper relationship in John 14. So we will save any further comment until we deal with that particular section. That'll be verses 19 through 23. When Jesus said that knowing him and seeing him was the same as knowing and seeing the Father, let me say that again. When Jesus said that knowing him, knowing Jesus and seeing Jesus was the same as knowing and seeing the Father, he was claiming to be God. From now on, they would, they would understand more and more about the Father, even through though Jesus was leaving them. I appreciate Philip's desire to know the Father. He had come a long way since that that day Jesus found him and called him in John 1, 43 through 45. The burning desire of every believer ought to be to know God better. We read and study the Word of God so that we might better know the God of the Word. The Greek construction of the question in John 14.10 indicates that the Lord expected a yes answer from Philip. He did not believe that Jesus was in the Father and the Father in him. And that being the case, Philip should have realized that the words of Jesus as well as his works came from the Father and revealed the Father. Believers today have not seen the Lord Jesus in the flesh, 1 Peter 1, verse 8. But we do see him and his works in the word. The emphasis throughout John's gospel is that you cannot separate Christ's words and works. For both come from the Father and reveal the Father. 
the quote believe in John 14:10 is singular for Jesus was addressing Philip but in 14:11 it's plur- plural and he's addressing all of the disciples the tense of both is quote go on believing let your faith grow 400 years before Christ was born there was a Greek philosopher named Plato and he wrote to find out the father and maker of all this universe is a hard task and when we have found him to speak of him to all men is impossible but Plato was wrong he was wrong we can know the father and maker of the universe for Jesus Christ revealed him to us why should our hearts be troubled when the creator and governor of the universe is our own father the very lord of heaven and earth is our father luke 10:21 there's no need for us to have troubled hearts for he is in control chapter 14 verses 12 through 15 we have a privilege to be able to pray I've seen pl- this plaque on wall call- that says on different wall wall decor in homes that says why pray when you can worry. One of the best remedies for a troubled heart is prayer. Remember that old song that said, "Oh what peace we often forfeit, oh what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer." If God is going to answer our prayers and give us peace in our hearts, there are certain conditions that we've got to meet. In fact, the the meeting of these conditions is a blessing in itself. We must pray in faith, verse 12. This is a promise for us to claim, and the claiming of it demands faith. The double verily assures us that this is a solemn announcement. verily verily i say unto thee so the fact that jesus did return to the father is an encouragement for there is for there he is interceding for us yes he's interceding for you and for i for me we he will have more to say about this intercessor work later as as we read on through this chapter the greater works things would apply initially to the apostles who were given the power to perform special miracles as the credentials of their office these miracles were not greater in quality for the servant is not greater than his lord it says in john 36 uh, not 316 john 13 verse 16 but rather in scope and quantity peter preached one sermon and 3000 sinners were converted in one day hallelujah that is so amazing to me that is god peter preached one sermon and 3000 sinners were converted in one day the fact that ordinary people performed these signs made them even more wonderful and brought great even greater glory to god Acts 5 verses 13 through 
It's not the believer himself who does these greater things. It's God working in and through the believer. So the Lord working with them, like it says in Mark 16, 20, or for God is, is, or for it is God which worketh in you, Philippians 2, 13. Now, let me, I'll, I'll finish that. Worketh in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. Faith and works must always go together. For it's faith that releases the power of God in our lives. Both love and obedience are part of effective prayer. If I regard, or and that would also mean see or approve, or see and approve iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, 18. We don't obey obey the Lord simply because we want our prayers answered. Somewhat like the attitude of a child just before Christmas. You know, we obey him because we love him. Let me say that again. We obey him because we love him. And the more that we obey him, the more we experience his love. To keep his commandments means to value them to treasure them, guard them, and do them. Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Believing prayer is wonderful medicine to soothe a troubled heart. Meditate on Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and then put it into practice. We must pray in Christ's name. Verses 13 through 14 this is not a magic formula that that just that we automatically attach to our prayer request guaranteeing that God will answer because to ask anything of the father in the name of Jesus means that we ask what Jesus would ask what would please him and what would bring him glory for furthering his work you know, when a friend says to you, you, you may use my name, he's handing you a great privilege as well as a tremendous responsibility. The quote whatsoever in John 14, 13 is qualified by all that God has revealed in his word about prayer. Likewise, the anything in John 14, 14. God is not giving us his name is is the controlling element. To know God's name means to know his nature, what he is, and what he wants to do. God answers prayer in order to honor his name. Therefore, prayer must be in his will. 1 John 5, 14 through 15. The first request, in the, say, in the Lord's Prayer, is hallowed be thy name. Any request that does not glorify God's name should not be asked in his name. We must pray in loving obedience, verse 15. When you love someone, you honor his or her name. And you would never use that name in a demeaning manner. Love is an important theme in the Gospel of John. It's used as a verb or, or, or noun 
a total of 56 times, I believe. We have the Holy Spirit um, in verses 16 through 18. Jesus had a great deal to say about the Holy Spirit in his upper room message. For apart from the help of the Spirit of God, we cannot live the Christian life as God would have us to live it. But we've got to know who the Holy Spirit is, what he does, and how he does it. The Holy Spirit is given two special names by our Lord. Quote, one being another comforter and the other being the spirit of truth. The Greek word translated comforter is parakletos, and and it's used only by John. It means called alongside to assist. So the Holy Spirit does not work instead of us or in spite of us, but in us and through us. Let me say that one more time. The Holy Spirit does not work instead of us or in spite of us, but in us and through us. Our English word comfort comes from two Latin words meaning with strength. We usually think of comfort as as soothing someone, controlling him or her. And to some extent, this is true. But true comfort strengthens us to face life bravely and to keep on going. It doesn't rob us of responsibility or make it easy for us to give up. Some translations call the Holy Spirit the encourager, and this is a good choice of words. Parakletos is translated advocate in 1 John 2 and 1. An advocate is one who represents you at court and stands at your side to plead your case. So as the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit is related to Jesus, the truth, and the Word of God, which of itself is the truth. The Spirit inspired the Word and also illumines the Word so we may understand it. Later on in this message, Jesus will explain the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Since He is the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit cannot lie or be associated with lies. He never leads us to do anything at all contrary to the Word of God. For again, God's Word is truth. If we want the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, then we must seek to glorify Christ. We must make much of the Word of God. When you compare Ephesians chapter 5 through 6 with Colossians 3 through 4, you'll see that both passages describe the same kind of Christian faith. A joyful, thankful, and submissive faith. So to be filled with the Holy Spirit is the same as to be controlled by the Word. The Spirit of Truth uses the Word of Truth to guide us into the will and the work of God. The Holy Spirit abides in the believer. He is a gift from the Father in answer to the prayer of the Son. And during his earthly ministry, Jesus had guided, guarded, and he had taught his disciples. But now 
he was going to leave them. The Spirit of God would come to them and dwell in them, in them, taking the place of their master. Jesus called the Spirit another comforter. And the Greek word translated another means another of the same kind. The Spirit of God is not different from the Son of God, for both are God. The Spirit of God had dwelt with the disciples in the person of Jesus Christ. Now he would dwell in them. Of course, the Spirit of God had been on earth before. He empowered men and women in the Old Testament to accomplish God's work. During the Old Testament age, the Spirit of God would come on people and then leave them. Like in 1 Samuel 16, God's Spirit departed from King Saul. And David, when confessing his sins, asked that the Spirit not be taken from him. So when the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, he was given to God's people to remain with them forever, even though we may grieve the Spirit of God. Unfortunately, we do at times. He will not leave us. The way we treat the Holy Spirit is the way that we treat the Lord Jesus Christ. The believer's body is the temple of the Spirit of God. So what he or she does with that body affects the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Spirit wrote the Word of God, and the way we treat the Bible is the way we treat the Spirit of God and the Son of God. The world cannot receive the Spirit because the world lives by sight and not by faith. And furthermore, the world does not know Jesus Christ, and you cannot have knowledge of the Spirit apart from the Son. The presence of the Holy Spirit in this world is actually an indictment against the world. For the world rejected Jesus Christ. The word uh, translated comfortless in John 14 means orphans. We are not alone, abandoned, helpless, and hopeless. Let me say that again. We are not alone, abandoned, helpless, and hopeless. Wherever we go, the Spirit of God is with us, so why should we feel like orphans? There's no need to have a troubled heart when you have the very Spirit of God dwelling within you. And then as we look at uh, verses 19 through 24 in chapter 14, we, we can enjoy the Father's love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. Romans 5 and 5. Their orphans feel unwanted, they feel unloved, but our Father shares his love with us. Jesus explained a threefold manifestation of God's love. There was a past manifestation to the disciples, verses 19 through 20. And then John 14, 19 focuses on his resurrection and post-resurrection appearances to his 
disciples and other believers. The last time the world saw Jesus was when Joseph and Nicodemus took him from the cross and and buried him. The next time the world sees him, he will come in power and great glory to judge lost sinners. John 14, 20. Sinners, especially on the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost and the oneness of the believers with their Lord. Jesus returned to heaven as the exalted head of the church. We see that in Ephesians 1, verses 19 through 23. Then he sent the Spirit so that the members of the body would be joined to their head in a living union. Believers today, of course, did not see Jesus after his resurrection or in his ascension, but we are united to him by the indwelling Holy Spirit. There's a present manifestation of himself to believers. Verses 21, also 23 and 24. Note the repetition of the word love. If we treasure his word and obey it, then the Father and the Son will share their love with us and make their home in us. That is so powerful. If we treasure his word and obey it, then the Father and the Son will share their love with us and make their home in us. In the word translated abode in John 14, 23 means make our home and is related to mansions. And then in, in John, is related to mansions in John 14, verse 2. When the sinner trusts Christ, he is born again and the Spirit immediately enters his body and bears witness that he is a child of God. So the Holy Spirit is resident and will not depart. But as the believer yields to the Father, loves the word and prays and obeys, there is a deeper relationship with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Salvation means that we are going to heaven, but submission means that heaven comes to us. The truth is illustrated in the experience of Abraham and Lot, recorded in Genesis 18 and 19. When Jesus and the two angels visited Abraham's tent, they felt right at home. They even enjoyed a meal, and Jesus had a private talk with Abraham. But our Lord did not go to Sodom to visit Lot because he did not feel at home there. That's powerful, friends. That's powerful right there. You know what? Our abode, our vessel, our home, our place has got to be a place where God is going to feel at home with us. So instead, he sent the two angels rather than Holy Spirit going there. Our experience with God ought to go deeper and deeper, and it will 
as we yield to the spirit of truth and permit him to teach us and permit him to guide us. If we love God and if we obey God, he will manifest his love to us in deeper ways each day. There will be a future manifestation when Jesus Christ returns. See verse 19. And then Judas, it says, not Iscariot, recalled that Jesus had said he would not manifest himself to the world. John 14, 22. But this seemed to contradict other statements he had made, such as recorded in Matthew 24. So his question was, what, was, what, what has come to pass that you are no longer going to reveal yourself to the world? Has there been a change in the divine plan? Jesus had been rejected by his own people, so he could not manifest himself to them. In fact, it was an act of mercy that he did not manifest himself to the world because that would have meant judgment. He has revealed himself to his church And he has left the church in the world to be a witness of God's love. He is patiently waiting, still giving lost sinners opportunity to repent and be saved. Amen. We're so grateful for that. That's what we pray into, wanting God to to save those who do not know him, to bring them out of the darkness and into his most marvelous light. One day, Revelations 1 and 7, Jesus is going to return and the world will behold him. One of the best ways to ease a troubled heart is to bathe it in the love of God. When you feel like an orphan, let the Spirit of God reveal God's love to you in a deeper way. Charles Spurgeon said, Little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Your heart can become a heaven on earth as you commune with the Lord and as as you worship Him. Then as we go to uh, verses 25 through 31, Shalom, peace, is a precious word to the Jewish people. It means much more than just the absence of war or distress. Shalom means wholeness. It means completeness, health, security, even prosperity in the best sense and when you are enjoying God's peace there is joy and contentment but God's peace is not like the peace that the world offers the world the world bases its peace on its resources while God's peace depends on relationship entirely to be right with God means to enjoy the peace of God The world depends on personal ability, but the Christian depends on spiritual adequacy in Christ. In the world, peace is something you hope for or work for, but to the Christian, peace is God's wonderful gift. It's received by faith. Unsaved people enjoy peace, and there's an absence of trouble. Christians enjoy peace, 
and they enjoy it in spite of their troubles or their trials because of the presence of power the holy spirit of the holy spirit people in the world walk by sight and they depend on the externals but christians walk by faith and they depend on the eternals so the spirit of god teaches us the word and he guides us he guides us he does not drag us along let's keep that clear he does not drag us along he guides us as we're willing to follow into all truth he also reminds us of what he has taught us so that we can depend on god's word in the difficult times of life the spirit uses the word to give us his peace john 14:27 his love and his joy and we'll see that in chapter 15 if that does not claim or excuse me if that does not calm a troubled heart then nothing is going to nothing is going to again jesus assured them that they would see him again in john 14:28 why rejoice because he returned to the father because his return made possible his wonderful intercessory ministry on our behalf our great high priest in heaven see hebrews 2 17 and 18 and 4 14 through 16 we have the spirit within us the savior above us and the word before us what tremendous resources for peace in john 14 30 through 31 the lord named two of our great spiritual enemies the world and the devil jesus overcame the world and the devil john 12:31 and the devil has no claim on him there is no point in jesus christ where the devil can get a foothold since we are in christ quote in christ Satan can get no foothold in the believer's life unless we permit it. So neither Satan nor the world can trouble our hearts if we are yielded to the peace of God through the Holy Spirit. When Jesus said, "My Father is greater than I," John 14:28, he was not denying his own deity, for he was for his equality with God for when he would have been for then excuse me he would have been contradicting himself because he was equal with God John 10:30 when Jesus was here on earth he was necessarily limited by having a human body he voluntarily laid it aside or laid aside the independent exercise of his divine attributes and submitted himself to the father when he was in the earth in that sense the father was greater than the son of course when the son returned to heaven all he had laid aside was restored once again see john 17 verses 1 and 5 Jesus showed his love for the Father and for the world by voluntarily going to the cross. He did not hide or flee. He willingly laid down his life. 
he and the disciples may have left the upper room at this point, John 14, 31, so that what Jesus said from that point on was spoken on the way to the garden. Or they may have arisen from the table and lingered while he a while as he instructed them. And as I close here, you know what? We can easily imagine the allegory of the vine being given as they walked that night through the vineyards. His own perfect peace assures us that he alone can give true peace. Jesus was always the master of the situation. And you know, he enables us to take control of our lives as we surrender to him and receive his legacy of peace in Jesus' name.